Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you would take it and turn to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 21, and we will finish up the book of Jeremiah today. Just uh, two things before we get started. I want to run by you uh, just by way of um, keeping you up to date with what's going on uh, in my family's life. We ought to uh, close on a house this week in town, and as we were surveying Windsor and trying to figure out a good place to, to put our family, we, we looked for the biggest need in town, and we said, somebody's got to keep Milton Tadlock and Barbara straight. And got to keep Bob and Shirley Spivey straight. And so we thought, what better place to move than right beside them? Amen? So uh, we're going to be in that, uh, in that general vicinity. A uh, couple rock throws from church, uh, if you don't throw like a girl. And also, by way, of, by way of just keeping you up to date with things, I wanted to tell you guys uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you for last week. Uh, last week we had a pastor appreciation day and we had a lunch following. Uh, that was the best spread in town. Uh, I tell you, it was incredible. And the things that many of you said uh, in your cards and the uh, the kind words that were spoken uh, and the gifts that you gave us, I want to tell you all uh, from the bottom of our heart, thank you very much. And one of the things that I was the most happy to see, believe it or not, was the number of you who realized that this is not a uh, one-man show. That uh, without uh, my loving and supportive wife, none of what I do would be possible. And so I want to tell you thank you uh, for the way that you also gave her an incredible amount of praise and the things that you said also. So thank you again. Uh, you guys have an immense amount of uh, wisdom and understanding in what it takes to, to be an effective leader. So thank you for, uh, for recognizing the whole family and not just me. Let's get to the book of Jeremiah chapter 21. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll start. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the encouraging words uh, that we can read from the book of Jeremiah. God, we thank you that you always have a plan and you always have a purpose for the things that you do and for the things that you allow to happen. God, I pray that as we uh, dive into your word, that we would not just be content with the fluffy things that scripture has to say but god i pray that we would grab a hold to the meat of your word and be satisfied god i pray that you would help us to think and to think well so that we could uh, be encouraged for the long haul when it comes to your word father we pray that you would feed your sheep and god i pray that you would use me to do it and we ask these things in christ's name amen well, when we finish up today in the book of Jeremiah, we will be at the end of a section of the prophets. Traditionally speaking, you have the prophets that are broken down into two groups. You have the major prophets, which are the four big books of the prophets. And then you have the rest of the prophets, which fall into the minor prophet category. But I want to give you three different categories of prophets, of which at the end of today, we'll be at the end of one of them. The first group are what we call the post Excuse me, the pre-exile prophets. Then you have a few prophets that are called the exile prophets. And then you have a few prophets at the end that are the post-exile prophets. And if you think just a little bit, you'll be able to know what that means. You have all of the prophets like Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Micah. All of those guys are pre-exile. This is before the people go into captivity. And so Jeremiah is at the tail end of these guys. At the end of Jeremiah, all of Israel and Judah will be in captivity. Then you have the exile prophets. God is not through with his people when he sends them into exile. But he sends prophets in the midst of them being in Babylon in captivity 
He sends them prophets who deliver God's word to them. And then after the time of the exile is over and they return to the land, there's two or three prophets on the back end that are what we call post-exile prophets. And each of these prophets deliver a different word from the Lord. And so what you'll find is that the pre-exile prophets, all the ones that we've been dealing with, are telling the people... Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and he will relent of the coming destruction that's coming to Jerusalem and to Israel. Well, there's no need to say that anymore once the people are in captivity. So now you have the exile prophets, and God has guys like Ezekiel and Daniel, and and they prophesy that everything is going to be okay, and when you come out of exile, actually, things are going to be better than you could ever imagine. And so in the midst of captivity and prison or wherever they are, God's pouring prophets in, and then once they get back into the land, what do you think God does once they get back into the land? He's going to foreshadow immense times of blessing to come, and that's when you're going to find out more and more and more about this Savior who's going to come and deliver them from all of their sin. And so here in the book of Jeremiah, we're about to wrap up all of the pre-exile prophets and in chapters 19 through 21 19 and 20 you have a story from jeremiah uh, god tells jeremiah go to the potter's house and so jeremiah goes to the potter's house and he's, he's looking to see what the potter's doing and god tells him look at what the potter's doing he's crafting a piece of clay on the the wheel and whatever happens to the clay the clay gets spoiled and so the potter mashes everything back together and he remakes it And so he says, go tell Israel that they are still moldable in my hand. If they will listen to me and if they'll do what I'm telling them to do, I will relent of the destruction that I'm bringing upon them and they will, they will be restored. And so, you know, Israel by this time, right? So they go out, they repent and everything goes well with them, right? Sound about right? No, no, not quite. Well, they don't listen and then they actually want to destroy Jeremiah. And then, then God tells Jeremiah, go to the potter's house and buy a piece of finished pottery. And so he goes to the potter's house and he buys a piece of finished pottery after it's been baked. And he says, tell Israel this, take the piece of pottery and slam it on the ground and break it. This is going in a good direction, right? This sounds more like a football coach's pregame pep talk as opposed to a prophet of God. He says, tell Israel that they're finished. They're beyond restoration at this point. They're beyond fixing. They're going to be destroyed. And then I'm going to take them into captivity. And then we pick up in chapter 21. And King Zedekiah, after Jeremiah prophesies that there's nothing else that can be done with Judah, this is where we pick up. Chapter 21, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him to Pashur, son of those guys, saying in verse 2, Please inquire of the Lord on our behalf, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is warring against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to his wonderful acts that the enemy may withdraw from us. Then Jeremiah said to them, You shall say to Zedekiah as follows, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to turn back the weapons of war which are in your hands, with which you are warring against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the wall and i shall gather them into the center of this city that's bad i myself listen to this verse five i myself shall war against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm even in anger and wrath and great indignation i shall also strike down the inhabitants of this city both man and beast and they will die of a great pestilence 
Then afterwards declares the Lord, I shall give over Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people, even those who survive in this city from the pestilence, the sword, and the famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their foes, and into the hand of those who seek their lives, and he will strike them down with the edge of the sword. He will not spare them, nor have compassion or pity. You shall say also to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Now listen to this. So the word of the Lord comes from Jeremiah to the king. And he says, king, everybody who stays here, including yourself, is going to die by the sword. But now I'm setting before you life and death. And this is verse 9. He who dwells in this city will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and falls away to the Chaldeans who are besieging you will live and he will have his own life as booty. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and he will burn it with fire. And so Jeremiah gives a message that doesn't make any sense. If you're thinking earthly, he says, if you stay in this city, now keep this in mind, you're in Jerusalem, there's a huge wall all around you, and the temple of God is in Jerusalem, in the heart of Jerusalem. And remember what the people were saying last week in Jeremiah. The people were saying, surely God won't destroy this city because this is the house that God dwells in. And God says, don't you think for a second that you can put your security in something that you think I won't destroy because there is nothing sacred when it comes to sin and I'll destroy anything that needs it. And so now you have God tells through the prophet Jeremiah, guys, residents of Jerusalem, if you will go out and you will surrender to King Nebuchadnezzar, you will live. But if you stay in the city and you trust in these walls and you fight with the army, every single one of you will die. Now we go over to Jeremiah chapter 36. And you're welcome to turn to these chapters or you're welcome to just listen along. But listen to the word of the Lord in Jeremiah 36. Excuse me, 38. There's a lot more names in chapter 38 verse 1. All of these people heard the words. This is the end of verse 1. All of those people heard the words that Jeremiah was speaking to all the people. Thus says the Lord. He who stays, verse 2, he who stays in this city will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans will live and have his own life as booty and stay alive. Thus says the Lord, this city will certainly be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and he will capture it. So here you have this prophecy again. You stay in the city and you die. You go and surrender to the enemy and you will live. Then he says in verse 4, then the officials said to the king, now let this man be put to death inasmuch as he is discouraging the men of war, all who are left in this city and all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. So King Zedekiah said, behold, he is in your hands for the king can do nothing against you. Then they took, verse 6, then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchijah the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard's house. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern, there was no water, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. And so these people of Judah do exactly like Christians often do. And they don't seek the Lord. They shoot the messenger. You ever been somewhere like that? 
You ever heard of a place like that? Listen to this. What God was telling the people made absolutely no sense whatsoever. You have the, the same people that, um, that ooh, his name just left me, the same people that Jonah went and prophesied to, Nineveh, the Assyrians. This is somewhat of the same people. The Babylonians defeated the wicked Assyrians, and so you can imagine the Babylonians being even, even a badder group than the Assyrians. And now you have, God says, if you want to live, you need to surrender and go willingly into the hand of the enemy. If I told you, if you want to escape destruction, you need to surrender into the hand of the ISIS military group right now. You would think, whoo, that boy is off his rocker. You need to stay and fight. But listen, God had different plans. He said, surrender and you'll live. Stay and fight and you'll die. God oftentimes tests his people through big acts of faith. And so you could either be faithful to God and do what he's telling you to do, or you could be unfaithful and trust in the wisdom of man and you could stay and fight. And such is the exact model that we need to follow with the church. It is possible to do things man's way and absolutely flounder and die. And it's possible to step out in faith as God's people and absolutely thrive and succeed. You would be amazed. Now, praise the Lord that I'm not specifically speaking to anything in our church. You are surrounded by churches in the North Carolina and in the South that spend more time talking about how to preserve stained glass windows than they do how to get the gospel to every nation. And if you are a people who only care about preserving the nice things you have, you spend more time on that than you do getting the gospel to the ends of the earth like his word tells us to do, you're spinning your wheels and you're doing things man's way instead of God's way. We have got to be a people all about doing God's business his way, even if it looks absolutely crazy. We get scoffed at all the time. Boyd and I were talking yesterday about all of the people who look at us as followers of Christ and they think we're crazy. You tell somebody that I believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God, that he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross to save me of my sins. And then on the third day, they couldn't keep him dead and he rose from the dead, securing for me eternal life. People will look at you like you have lost your mind. But it is only in that It is only in putting your faith in that that you can be saved from your sins and live eternally. Now listen to me. You cannot work for your salvation. You cannot give enough money. You cannot do enough good things. Your salvation is wrapped up in your faith in Jesus Christ. And listen to me. As a fleshly man, that sounds crazy. You mean to tell me That somebody rose from the dead and that's the only thing that can save me? To someone who doesn't understand the wisdom of God, that sentence is absolute foolishness, if you have ever thought about it. But that foolish statement is the only thing that can save you. The only thing. And that is what we put our hope in. And to the rest of the world, we sound 
crazy. But we have to be a people who are entrenched in that right there. And that's what we stand on and that alone. So much so that just like the last two days when everybody in town wants to go around telling ghost stories, we don't do that. We stand on Christ. And so what did we tell people during the ghost walk? We told them a story about Jesus interacting with ghosts and demons. And when they left, I said, enjoy the rest of your walk. The demons and the ghosts are incredibly real that they're going to tell you stories about. But we as Christians serve a God who is greater than all of the demons. And one day, every single one of them will do exactly what he tells them to do. And I feel like that's where we as Christians need to stand and not back off at all. Guys, it seemed so right to be standing in front of a group of people telling them that Christ was so much greater than ghosts and spirits and all of those other things. Was, did I probably look like an idiot? Yes. But I would rather be an idiot aligned with Christ than, in the, than walk in the wisdom of the world and play all these politically correct games. Amen? And so we go on from the book of Jeremiah and we learn that if these people will surrender... If they will put down their pride and surrender, they'll be saved. In your own time, you can go to the last chapter of Jeremiah. It's chapter 52. You don't have to turn there. But you learn that Zedekiah didn't do as he was told. Zedekiah, the king, doesn't surrender to the enemy. Instead, he stays to fight. And the book says in chapter 52, verse 1, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like all that Jehoiakim had done. And so, the anger of the Lord comes about. And in chapter 52, verse 9... It says they, that's the enemy, that's Nebuchadnezzar. They captured the king, chapter 52, verse 9. They captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon in the land of Hamath, and they passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. So this king does not obey the word of the Lord. And this king gets all of his sons slaughtered before his eyes. And he slaughtered all of the princes of Judah. Verse 11. Then, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, he blinded the eyes of Zedekiah. And the king of Babylon bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon and put him in prison until the day of his death. And so Zedekiah doesn't heed the words of the Lord from Jeremiah. And what happens? All of his kids get slaughtered before his eyes. All of the princes of Judah get slaughtered before his eyes. And then what happens is the king of Babylon gouges out his eyes and puts him in prison to rot until the day he dies a natural death. All because he did not heed the word of the Lord and surrender when God said surrender. Brothers and sisters, you may be here and God has told you to surrender something to him, to to give him something that he is demanding of you. And listen, you will not find salvation unless you put your faith in Christ and you heed the words of the Lord, even if it seems like utter foolishness to everybody around you. Listen, there are things in my life over the past month that I have done that if you knew what I had done, you would think, boy, that was an incredibly foolish thing that you've done. But you would be amazed at the blessings that have come out of these seemingly foolish things that we have done in our house. We have, in a, in a couple areas, stepped out in faith, and God has stepped in and encouraged us more than you could ever imagine. 
And if you want specifics, this isn't the time for me to tell them to you, but I would love for you to come by and I would share with you some of the things that we have seen God doing in our lives that at the end of me telling you what we did, you'll say you're crazy and I would say, yes, I agree. But in the end, God took it and made something great out of it. And the Christian life is full of things like that. Christ is waiting for people to step out in faith and follow him wherever they call him to go. Now, there's another thing that happens in the book of Jeremiah. So in the book of Jeremiah, you learn that God has a plan, and that plan is for the people to surrender, and if they surrender, they'll be physically saved from the enemy. There's another thing that Jeremiah does. Now we're in Jeremiah chapter 31. In Jeremiah chapter 31, you learn that the old covenant, you learn that the covenant made with Moses is fading away, and you learn that God is up to something new. Chapter 31, verse 31. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. This is chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Verse 33, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is after the days of captivity, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And this is a tagline for the new covenant. All throughout the book of Ezekiel and the other prophets to come, you will see this language that I'll be their God and they'll be my people. Well, one day he's going to put their law in their hearts. Verse 34. They shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the greatest of them declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And so what you learn in Jeremiah is what you hit, what you should have been picking up all along the way throughout Deuteronomy. You're welcome to turn there. You can just listen for the sake of time. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, after Moses is speaking to the people, remember Deuteronomy is a retelling of the covenant. God made the covenant with the wilderness generation, Moses' generation. All of those people were wicked in the wilderness they all died over 40 years, and then God remakes the covenant with all of their children. That's the book of Deuteronomy. And so all of these things that he is doing, and in chapter 5, verse 29, God says, Oh, that they had a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. And so you realize in Deuteronomy, when God is remaking this covenant, that even God realizes that there's something wrong with the heart of the people for them not to be able to do the things that God is telling them. And it goes over in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, verse 5. It says, The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. This is, this is foretelling after the captivity of Jeremiah. The Lord will bring you into the land your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, listen to this, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. And so throughout the book of Deuteronomy and throughout the Old Testament, you realize that there's something wrong with the heart of man. 
that keeps him from obeying. Ever since Genesis 3.15, where Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they sinned, right away with the story of Cain and Abel, there's something wrong with Cain's heart where he is no longer able to worship and obey the way that he was supposed to. And so then one of the most bizarre verses in Scripture, if you haven't been keeping up, is over in the book of Joshua. Joshua stands before the people. Joshua's about to die. He gives this fabulous farewell speech. And he says, remember when the Lord did this and this and this and this. And he lists 20, 30 things that the Lord had done. And at the end of it, he says, verse 14. This is chapter 24, verse 14. Now, therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. And so he gives this fabulous speech, incredible going away speech. He's about to die. And then the people give an absolutely perfect answer. And the people say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And so if you're a leader and you say, choose for this day whom you'll serve. And all of the people say, far be it from us to forsake the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Wouldn't you think that you would be excited as a leader that all the people want to obey? Wouldn't you think? Then he says this. You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do to you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord and to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And so you get to Joshua and Joshua says, serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What do you choose? And they say, we choose the Lord too. And he says, gang, you cannot do it. And you realize later on in scripture that Joshua knew this because he knew that the people did not have a heart within them inclined towards the Lord so that they could obey. Hence, you have the whole old covenant that was designed by God through Moses that was all wrapped around what the people were to do physically in order to worship the Lord. And so he gave them the book of Leviticus. He gave them Deuteronomy in an effort to get them all doing the right things so that their heart would follow the things that they're doing. The old covenant, listen to this, the old covenant never saved anyone. The old covenant was an advertisement for the new covenant. The old covenant was given so that when Christ came and Christ ushered in the new covenant that's talked about in Jeremiah, that the people would understand what he was talking about. And so all of the people in Moses' day that kept the old covenant, they were saved looking forward to the new covenant. The book of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, says that in the days of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was speaking, the old covenant was actively passing away and God was slowly bringing in the new covenant. And so God is doing something amongst the people. And Ezekiel and Daniel and these later guys are going to explain more and more of what God is doing. But the nuts and bolts of what he is doing is that God is preparing to give his people new hearts so that they are able to actually follow him the way that he desires to be followed. 
And so real, genuine believers in Christ have a changed heart inside of them. And they desire to do the things of God. And so with that, I want you to listen to this. This is Psalm chapter 40. And this would have been a psalm that uh, I think that would have been on Jeremiah's mind uh, when he was in the pit. So they take Jeremiah. They don't, they don't shoot the message. They shoot the messenger. And they throw Jeremiah into a, into a pit where he sinks into the mud. And listen to this psalm of David. Chapter 40 of the book of Psalms. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. I would declare and speak of them. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. And so, brothers and sisters, there's, there's two ways set before you today, just like in the, in the time of Jeremiah. There's a way of life, and there's a way of death. The way of life is that God writes his law on your heart when you are saved, and you delight to do the will of God. That's verse 8 of chapter 40. And so if you're here, and you delight in doing the will of God, then that is a proof of your salvation, brothers and sisters. There's a proverb, Proverbs chapter 4, I think about verse 13, I think, that says there's a way which is common to man. Uh, Let me turn there. I've I've already butchered it. Hang tight. I'll be right there. This is Proverbs 14. I was wrong. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so where are you today is the question. Are you doing things man's way? Is everything you're doing making perfect sense to everybody around you? If so, that way leads to death. Or are you delighting in the will of the Father and doing things according to God's way? And the world looks at you and says, that individual is crazy. There is safety and there is security in following the will of the Lord wherever it takes you. As opposed to doing whatever seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so, brothers and sisters, out of the book of Jeremiah, I hope that you have picked up that, that sometimes God's way is absolutely foolish to the people around you. But it's right. And whatever God calls you to do, whatever the Holy Spirit in your life leads you to do, you need to boldly go that direction. And then in the book of Jeremiah, you learn that a time is coming after the book of Jeremiah that God is going to bring a new covenant about where he's going to take the heart of the people and he's going to give them a new heart. He's going to circumcise their heart and he's going to create something new so that those people actively desire to seek and serve the Lord. 
And so great, great news out of the book of Jeremiah. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what things that you need to trust the Lord with. I don't know what ways that you may be rebelling and and doing whatever's right to man. But either way, it is never too late to repent and get on board with what God is doing. And so if you're here and you're living life your own way and you want to be saved, I've told you that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, something that seems utterly foolish, that there is eternal salvation in that. And I would love to share more with you about it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your prophet Jeremiah. Lord, we thank you for his faithfulness to you in spite of living amongst a generation of people who cared nothing about your word. Father, I thank you for those that lived in Judah that you saved. Father, I thank you that through their faith and following wherever you directed them, that they would find safety. And God, I pray that we would be a people who live our lives by the words of Christ. Father, I pray that we would be people who live our lives out and everything that we do is revolved around the gospel. Lord, help us to be absolutely foolish in the world's sight, which will in turn make us incredibly successful in yours. And Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand for a hymn of invitation. Well, guys, it was a pleasure worshiping the Lord with you today. I uh, thoroughly uh, love you guys and enjoy you guys more than you would ever know. And so I hope you'll remember all the announcements that we talked about. And uh, Brother Alan Casalo, would you mind closing us out in prayer?